This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Hello everyone, welcome to part 6 of the Broken Meeples Tab 100. Two more episodes left including this one now. We're on to 20 to 11 at this point. We're getting so close to those infamous, infamous? Those wonderful top 10 games that I can't wait to talk about soon and I bet I'm going to get so much flack for what's on them. But I reckon there's some solid titles that some people are going to agree with me. But obviously some that you're kind of joking with me are going to be on that top 10, which blatantly you know or not, I'll get onto those maybe after I've discussed them in the next episode. So for now we're in our top 20 games now from this point forward, 20 games that I absolutely adore for various reasons. And you're going to notice there's a big mix of games in here. If you think it's just going to be con- you know, co-ops all the way through, you couldn't be more wrong. There is a Merifrash, there is Euro, there is Dice, there is Light, Medium, there is Heavy, there is Complex, there is Simple, there is, you know, app-driven. There is all sorts of great games in this top 20 list from all sorts of varieties of genres. So note that this is going to be a very mixed top 20 games and not just devoted to one particular genre even though I do have obviously my favorite genres like co-op for example. So without further ado let's get going 20 through 11. Number 20 has not even moved at all since last year. It was 20 last year and it's 20 this year. I have no idea how that happened. It is a complete coincidence, I assure you. It was one of my favorite deck builders. In fact, it might even... No, it's not my favorite deck builder, but it is one of them, and that is Marvel Legendary. Now, Marvel Legendary, theme-wise is hit and miss. Yes, you are building a team of superheroes, and yes, you've got loads of superheroes and supervillains now, because I've got Legendary, I've got the various uh, small box expansions, I've got Dark City, I've got the Secret Wars, even though I haven't got a clue what these characters are. I've got Marvel Villains, I've got the Captain America one recently, that was a good one. I can't wait for... Oh, oh yeah, I've got the uh, Civil War one coming in the post any time now, so I will be doing a full review of the Civil War Legendary expansion. In fact, the only one I don't have is Fear Itself from the Villain Saga, and the only reason for that is I know absolutely nothing about that comic strip. I have not read it. I have no idea who these characters are, apart from obviously Iron Man, but he's even he's a weird version of himself, and I just had zero interest in grabbing that particular set. Granted, I picked up Secret Wars, but then Secret Wars at least was was interesting. I mean, I've been tempted to go and read it, even though I haven't. It's on my to-do list if I've got time, shall we say. And But it did have some pretty good heroes in there, like Beast and Doctor Strange and various others. Uh, oh yeah, and the 
or was it Black Panther? You know, that I was certainly intrigued to finally get into my set. Now, with Marvel Legendary, I do tend to only play it either solo or with two or three players, because above that, you're just asking to get your butt kicked, <laughs> frankly, no matter who up you go up against. But there's so much variety in this game now. I've got cards after cards after cards, and I can choose whatever thematic battle I want. Do I want the entire Fantastic Four to go up against Galactus? I can do so. Do I want nothing but X-Men to go up against Magneto? I can do so. Do I want to challenge Thanos with, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy? I can do that. I can and create any superhero fandom battle that I like and I love superheroes I don't think this is a secret I love Marvel I like DC I prefer Marvel but I like DC and I just like superheroes in general I've been watching all of the Arrow the Flash uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Daredevil Jessica Jones I'm currently going through Supergirl I'm finding that quite enjoyable as well I didn't even think I would but apparently I am and there's more to come in oh yeah Legends of Tomorrow there's so much coming, and in October all these seasons renew, and I can't wait to get into them again. My evenings are going to be taken up with TV showings, I swear. So this is still remaining in the top 20. Will it get better as time goes on? Maybe. I reckon it's going to be pretty consistent where it is, though. Marvel Legendary, number 20. Number 19 is on the list up six places from before, so it has actually gone up in my expectations. And the main reason it's on this list is because Tom Vassell paid me £7,000 in order to actually put it on the list. But wait, I wasn't supposed to say that, was I? Damn. Uh, um, um, we'll edit that out. Uh, but this one is Cosmic Encounter. I do legitimately enjoy this one. I'm a big fan of the negotiation style game, particularly if it's got some bluffing and lying to people's faces. And Cosmic Encounter gives me that with aliens and freaky special powers. It's top-notch for that kind of thing. And it is group-dependent, I will give it that. If you have the wrong group playing this, it will fall flat like nobody's business. And it's not for everyone. Pretty, it's pretty divisive. Some people will love it, some people will detest it. And I can totally understand why. It is a very unique game, but it's been around since the 1970s. That's weird. It's had so many versions, and now I've obviously got the Fantasy Flight one with all the expansions in it. It's a bit of a mission to separate out the cards in order to say, right, well, we're going to play with these, going to play with these. But if people know what they're doing, it's a fantastic negotiation game where joint victories are still fun to have. I choose to jointly win. But if I don't want to, I don't have to. I can try and go for the solo victory, even if it might blow up in my face. And some people will moan, say, oh, I didn't get a turn, or I only got one turn this game. It's not about how many turns you get. It's about how active and involved you are with interacting with the players outside of your turn. When it's not your turn, you should be constantly begging for, oh, I'll, I'll defend you, or I'll, I'll assist you in your attack. You know, let's, let's do this. I'll send this many ships. And then when it gets around to your turn, you repeat the same thing, except you're the one doing the attacking and the defending. It's a decent game. It's just if you just sit there being quiet all the time, then yeah, you're not going to get any enjoyment out of it. You have to get involved. You can't be an introvert with this one. You have to be properly extroverted and confident and just get your voice heard. It's one of those styles of games and I understand that if you're not like that sort of person, it could fall flat for you. 
That's fair enough. For me, though, I get a kick out of this whenever it hits the table. I wish I could bring it out more often. It's just, unfortunately, people I know locally tend to not like it as much as I do. But at conventions, this one tends to get played. And I think it would just be my dream to go to a convention and actually play this with Tom Vassar himself. Because I've already played games with him and Sam's Healy. And it was great fun. I think we played Escape from Aliens Now to Space and some uh, real Cosmos game called Smugglers. But... To sit down at Essen, or yeah, to sit down at Essen or the next year's UK Games Expo and play Cosmic Encounter with him, I think that would just be about as fun as it could get. So, loving this one, it's gone up in the expectations. I think it will remain pretty consistent at this point. 19 Cosmic Encounter. Number 18 is a new debut to the list, and when I said about heavy games earlier, this is a heavy game, and I know some people are going to come back and say, no, that's not heavy, that's a medium game, yeah, 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 okay, right, your mental geniuses, I get you, but for most people, this is a fairly heavy, thinky game, and it is certainly complex as all get out, but the theme is dripping in it's oozing out of every part of this complex game because this designer is one of the best designers for getting theme into a Euro and making it stick. It's Vital Lacerda and the game is Kanban Automotive Revolution. It took me ages to get this one played. I've been trying for ages and obviously nobody really had it so they couldn't teach me it. And I played this literally probably the week after I did the top 75 last year. Had it been played before the top 75 and I mean more than once because I don't put any game on here I've only played once no questions asked it would have just hit the list and gone storming I really enjoy this game yes it's a bit of a pain to teach yes it is complex but when you get those rules sorted once you get past that entry barrier which I accept is kind of like a steep cliff if not a vertical rock face it's great the fact that you have all the different departments of this car factory that you've got to run and kanban is japanese for oh, what is it japanese oh, damn it. i can't remember what kanban stands for but it's a japanese phrase it's to do with uh working in that oh, i wish i could remember sorry about that guys just google it and you have all the departments like the testing the assembly the warehouse the designs the admin office yeah trust me there's an admin office it sounds a lot better than it is sorry is a lot better than it sounds and you have to work via worker placement, you choose which department you're going to work in and how many shifts you're going to do. And the shifts will involve getting blueprints for cars, building the cars, getting the parts for the cars, like the brakes and the engine and that, and actually testing them out on the racetrack, putting them in your garage. You've got goals which are secret in your hand, as well as some collective like goals that everybody can aim for. And when the meetings happen, you go to the admin office and you try and nab as many of the goals as you can based on what you've achieved you know like you know for every yellow four by four that you've made right fine i'll get that one uh how many how many breaks have you tested uh yes that many i'm gonna go grab that one and it just feels so thematic it's i don't know i love these euros where you get this thematic tie-in i feel like i'm running the factory as a manager and trying to appease my boss sandra who is either in a nice mood or pretty much 99 percent of the way i will play this game with her in a mean mood where for the first quarter of the game first half of the game you're constantly having to the oh sandra's coming behind her quick get, get the achievements ah she's gonna ah, she's gonna drain me of victory points Arrgh. Hate you, hate you, Sandra. But eventually you get on top of it and it's like, hmm, fine. Well, I suppose I won't fire you yet. It kind of, actually, after watching Supergirl this week, she kind of reminds me of, uh, uh, what's her, 
Miss Grant from yeah the yeah the leader of um Catco Miss Grant she kind of reminds me of that when she's in a meme mood it's it's kind of a weird uh, analogy but that's the kind of one I would go for but this game just really sings for me in terms of theme and fun even though it has one of the biggest barriers to entry I can think of in a game this is one of Vital Lacerda's best however as hard as the decision was it currently isn't my favorite by Vital Lacerda more on that later. So, 18, Kanban Automotive Revolution. Number 17 has dropped off the top 10. It was 11 places higher last year. That means it was my number 6. But it is still in my top 20 games. I mean, yes, it's a drop. But that does not mean I hate this game. I still love it. And I will will sing it from the mountaintops that this is a better game than Agricola. Yes, I know this is going to cause a ton of flame wars. But I prefer this to Agricola. And that is Caverner the Cave Farmers. In Agricola, it's a good theme. It is a very tight game. It involves a lot of strategy and it has those cool cards. Even though in the original version they were unbalanced as all get out. The revised edition that I reviewed recently does fix that small point. So certainly I would say if you're going to get this get the revised edition just for the uh, balanced cards alone. But the problem I have with Agricola is that I don't like the way it's overly punishing. This one Agricola does not forgive you at all for getting things wrong. If you get something wrong you're hosed and you're done. And I also don't like the way that it forces you to get children so that you can have a bigger family. Because if you don't get any workers, extra workers, you will lose. Period. You cannot win this game with just your initial two people. It is impossible. And I don't like the way that it forces you to feed your people like literally every second of the game. I want to build my farm. I want the animals in a cool pasture. I want to grow lots of vegetables and have my little farm. But I can't because every turn I have to think solely about getting food. I like feed your people mechanics... But for crying out loud, this one doesn't just give you a feed your people mechanic. It literally feeds it into your face. It just slaps you around if you don't feed your people. And if you miss it once, you're done. The points that you lose for not feeding your people in one phase, they are high. Way too high. But that's just the way it is. I also don't like the way that it forces you to balance the farm out. So even if you start off in different paths, eventually you will all just merge in the center because you need a bit of everything, otherwise you lose a lot of points. You know, and the last round just becomes a free-for-all grab of like, what am I missing? What am I missing? Oh yeah, this random pumpkin that I didn't actually have from earlier in the game. Fine, I'll just grab this one vegetable here. Yay, now I have a vegetable, therefore I don't lose points. I don't like that. So enough about Grickler. Why do I like Caverna better? Well, Caverna has the room tiles, and the room tiles are just as varied as the cards, but I will accept that the cards have more variation as expansions came out. But there's plenty of variety in those tiles, and they're all available to everybody. So nobody gets lucky during a draft phase, nobody gets like an overpowered combo straight away. They have to work and make certain they grab the room early, unless somebody else wants it, that's the thing. I also like the way that the feed your people in this feed your people mechanic in this is not quite shoved down your throat as much. You still have to do it and it will hurt if you fail, but it's no longer your every waking moment of thought that you have to feed your people. On top of that, this one the best thing, the reason why I really love this more than Agricola is because it lets you do your own thing. Yes, you may lose a few negative points for unfinished tiles. That's fine, that's kind of expected. You will lose a few negative points for not having, 
certain animals. That's okay because it doesn't cap your rewards. Agricola has caps that are really low for various bits of grain and veg and that. And it's quite hard to meet those caps, but they are still capped. So if you happen to spam one thing, you're at a limit. Whereas in this, you can have 50 million corn for all it matters. You will get 50 million points because you have done something and you have done something well. So this game allows me to do what I like with my farm. I want to be, I want to do mining with lots of donkeys everywhere. I want to do nothing but animals. I'm just going to have loads of pastures outside with every animal type, including a ton of dogs. In fact, one game I'm going to test now, I'm just going to get loads of dogs. I'm going to run a dog school and just have lots of dogs with random bits of sheep everywhere. Uh, this game, I'm not going to do any animals. I'm going to suffer the points. Instead, I'm just going to grow all the vegetables and corn that I possibly can. Maybe next time, no, well, maybe later on, I'll run a brewery. Therefore, I can take all this corn and vegetables and turn it into beer somehow. And, you know, that's my shtick. It allows me to do what I want to do. And I like that. Give me freedom in my game so that I can immerse myself in the theme, which is pretty strong here. You know, it's Uri Rosenberg. There, He is pretty good with theme in most of his games. And just let me do what I want to do. I will adhere to your feed your people mechanics. I will adhere to your restrictions on losing a few points for this or having to cover up your whole farm. But do not cap my rewards. Do not shove the feed your people mechanic down my throat. And do not restrict my ability to do what I please in my farm. You've still got to fight against the other players for worker placement spots, and it's still a competitive game. But at least when you look at all the players' farms, they look completely different. And that's oh, so much more enjoyable. And I know that there's an audience that much prefers Agricola to Caverna. That's cool. Caverna and Agricola debate versus is a big divisive area, and that's fine. You're either going to like one or the other... I don't mind Agricola, I just would much rather play Caverna in a heartbeat. Agricola would probably still be on my top 200 games, I reckon. I still actually own a copy of it. So I do like it from time to time, it's just, if I want to do a much more flexible farming game, I'm going to pick Caverna in a heartbeat. So Caverna, 17, still going strong. This next new debut, oh yes, you're going to be so surprised this one's on the list. I've been waiting the whole top 100 to talk about this one. I really love this game, and if you thought that this would ever appear on my top 100, you would have just been like rolling on the floor in laughter thinking there is no possible way that Luke of the Broken Meeple could possibly like a Euro game like this, particularly given its theme. But trust me, I really enjoy this one, and... It is Founding Fathers. Yes, Founding Fathers, as in the Jolly Roger game by Christian Leonard and Jason Matthews that's based on forming the US Constitution. That game with that theme is my number 16. I am not joking here, this is a fact. I really was surprised by how much I would enjoy this game. I'm not I'm not the biggest political fan in ever. I know nothing about UK politics, I don't pay attention to it, I know even less about US politics, but it wasn't the theme that grabbed me with this one. Although granted, the theme is very strong in this game. Everything that you do feels like it's part of the theme it's based on, and again, that was a plus point. 
But what really sold me was the way that it handled the multi-use card system. Every card that you get has a nice bit of flavor fluff text so you understand what it is you're playing with. You know, games like Twilight Struggle and that have all this text in the back of a rule book that's just boring to read. And this one just gives me something that I can do while I'm in downtime waiting for my turn just to read a couple of paragraphs and go, okay, that makes sense why this guy has that effect. But the cards in this have got three uses. You either play them to vote yay or nay for a particular article of the Constitution. You use them to, based on their faction to debate on these tracks in order to win tokens that get you points at the end of the game. Or you use them for their special ability, which is based on what they were famous for from history, and that's what the flavor text links to. And there's a good variety in how they work. And I love the multi-use card system as a mechanic. It's one of my favorites that there is, and this one just does it so smoothly. Downtime is kept to a relative minimum, because there's only so much you can do on your turn. The options that you have are plentiful, yet not overwhelming. You know, this is a medium-weight game. I wouldn't call it heavy, but I wouldn't call it light either. There's enough options for you to think, now, if I do that, that's going to swing the vote that way. I need that fact. I need that article to pass, though, so I must vote yay. And then your decision and your tactics might change mid-round because somebody will play a card that nerfs something or you end up getting on the debate track in a faction that you weren't originally for, and it's like, hmm, now I'm one of the Federalists. I'm getting a lot of these tokens. I need to now vote nay on that one. In that case, I'm going to change my allegiance. We're now voting nay for this article. And it's just so good. The theme is handled so well. If you know nothing about the US Constitution, you will learn something after playing this game. But even if, like me, you went into this having very little information or even zero interest in how the US Constitution was formed, the game mechanics themselves are just that good. I really do enjoy this one. It looks nice. I mean, yeah, okay, the art is, you know, fairly periodic and that. But you've got these cool, like, black and white photos of all the characters. The text is easy to read. The graphic design is easy to do. And the games are really tight as well. They really are. There's only 30 points on that point track. And every game I have played of this, everyone's ended up in the 20s. And the point spread has usually been about five points between first and last. It can get really tight. Every point matters. And sometimes you'll have stories about, oh, I was going to win, I was going to win, and then suddenly this happened in the last round, and now the votes changed, and oh, everything's gone to pot. It's so good. Really like this one. And I didn't think I would. That's the weird, surprising thing. I thought I was going to hate this game. I thought, why do I want to review a politics game? This is not what I like. Well, I was proved wrong. Proved absolutely 100% wrong. I love this game. It is still in the collection. And I hope to get it played again very soon. 16 Founding Fathers. Number 15 is, in fact, my favorite Vital Lacerda game. We already just had Kanban. And this was the biggest problem I had with this list, actually. Well, actually, maybe next to the Suburbia and Castles of Mad King Ludwig debate earlier in the top 100, this one was like, how do I decide which one's better out of these two? I like them both, but for different reasons. Which one am I supposed to pick? And this one is his newest entry, The Gallerist. Now, Vinhos, I have not played yet. So if you're expecting to see Vinhos on this list, I'm afraid it's not here. I have not played it. But I did kickstart the new deluxe version that's coming out. So I look forward to getting that. I think that's going to be a great game for me, considering, you know, wine is a theme I really like. 
and I reckon I'll enjoy it a lot. But sadly, I've not played the original, so it can't make this list. The Gallerist, on the other hand, is a superb Euro game. Again, it has a strong theme. You're running an art gallery, you're getting visitors and investors, and you're you know, investing your time in these artists who do different things like photography and sculpturing and painting, that sort of thing. And you are increasing the fame of the artist. You're bragging about them to try and get their fame up so all their paintings are worth more. It's a partial and economic game so that you buy the art at a cheap price on commission and then you get the fame of the artist up and then suddenly you sell the art later perhaps for lots of money. You can grab all these cool bonuses from the international market by you know bragging about there. You've got contracts to fulfill and you've got two main ways that you can play. You can either try and collect a ton of art or you can just keep buying and selling art. But your chances are you'll do a bit of both anyway. But it's so smooth. What elevates this one above Kanban is not necessarily that I enjoy playing this one more than Kanban. I don't know. I really do enjoy them on a similar level. But... I think the difference with Kanban and this is that this has a much lower barrier to entry. So it is easier for me to get it to the table and teach it to new players. Because the mechanics are actually quite simple. It is a standard worker placement affair, but you've only got four spaces. And you place your pawn there to do one of two actions there. So you've only got to teach eight actions, and they're quite simple to teach. You know, they're fairly methodical and logical in how they work. But... The cool thing with this is that you have an influence track which can get you points but it also allows you to get some extra money. The primary thing of it though is that if you kick off someone else's pawn, you know, you can't block someone from going to a space, but if you kick off one of their master pawn or assistants, the little meeples on there, then if they've got the influence to spend, they can, after you've done your action, take a bonus action outside of their normal turn sequence. So you have to think, well, I need to go there and do this, but if I kick him out, he's going to get another action. And sometimes players will win based on how efficiently they're able to get these bonus actions, because it's, it's stuff outside your turn. You know, I might do my turn and grab a painting. Suddenly, because I've been kicked off a of space one, once or twice, I can go, oh, wait, now I can also invest in that, and I can increase the fame of that artist. Right, I'm going to do that as well. So you can't, there's no downtime. That's a great thing. A heavy euro with very little downtime. Because you you have to pay attention. If someone kicks you off your space in between rounds, you need to do your bonus action potentially. I mean, yeah, it won't happen every round, but it will happen on a regular basis. So you're constantly invested. The game is utterly gorgeous. I mean, the production quality of this, the insert, the pieces, the thickness of the tiles, the color. Oh my God. You know, this is Eagle Griffin. I've really come into their strides when it comes to making gorgeous-looking games, and the Gallerist is one of their best. This one just looks beautiful with the box. It looks beautiful when you get the insert out, and it looks beautiful when you set it up and play it. It is a fantastic Euro game, whether you play it solo or with more than you know two or more players, and it's strong. It's thematically connected to the mechanics very strongly. It's a superb game. I didn't even think I would like it this much, but it is my number 15, The Gallerist. Number 14 is a party game. Yes, there's a party game on this list. It was the only party game on this particular top 10. Will it be the last party game ever? Who knows? We'll have to see. But this one is one of my favorites particularly. It's only gone down three places, so it was number 11 last year. Now it's 14. Still really enjoy this one, and that is Time's Up, specifically 
Title Recall. Now, I probably would like the other Times Up games as well, but Title Recall removes some of the problems that you have with these clue-giving games where you don't know the name of the person that you're trying to do and it just ruins everything. Here, you've got titles of songs, books, albums, movies, TV shows, etc. And yes, there are times when you won't know what that film or song is. But you have enough clues in your words to basically give the, you know, give ideas out without having to do it. But the thing that makes this really cool is the fact that it's played over three rounds and you have the same 40 clues between all the teams. So they rinse and repeat. So even if you don't get it the first time, it may come back round so often that eventually you'll have seen it and you can remember it from previous rounds. But in the first round, you cannot pass, but you can say as much as you like about the clue. In the second round, you can only say one word but you can pass as often as you like. And in the third round, you are not allowed to say anything. You have to do it via charade-style miming or singing. And it works really well because the same 40 clue cards keep refreshing. So the clue that you give in the first round becomes the clue that you use in later rounds, whether you've got to do it in one word or miming. And it doesn't matter if it was the wrong clue about the wrong subject. You'll still remember it. It can be completely wrong, and it will still work. Now, this one is high up because it causes so much laughter when you see people try their hardest to give a clue or when like I say these repeat answers keep coming back you know like the meta effectively builds up by itself especially when you get to the charades round that bit is just hilarious but you get some times where you are just frantically shouting at your other half or something just like how do you not know who this is come on and I had one game in particular I can't remember the exact titles of the cards but one of them I think was like Call of the Wild or For the Wild or something like that and the other one was another film let's just say Bambi for example the idea was is that they were both about deers okay it was they were both like deer related songs or movies and the idea was was that when we were doing the clues we used the same clue for both cards because as far as we were concerned all we know about them was that they were involved deers so we didn't have much to go on so in future rounds when you're only allowed to say one word it became such a frustrating thing because you would get one of them you would say the one word clue and then your partner would no doubt say the other clue card rather than the one you've got. It's like, no, not that one! (laughs) And it's just, oh, it got so frustrating, but I love it. This is such a great party game. It's so easy to learn, so easy to play. may take a little while because you've got to go through three rounds of 40 clues, but it's still great. I hope those little mini expansions that uh, the US have got come over to the UK, please bring them i will buy them i will give you money for them you know money that's what you want money for your games i will give you money for those mini expansions because to be fair i haven't used up all the ones in my times up box but more variety is never a bad thing 14 times up My number 13 has climbed four places from 17 to 13, still remaining consistent and still remaining a game I highly enjoy, and not just because it has possibly the best artwork I have seen in a game to date. And the box cover doesn't even have the name on the front of the box, it just has a big giant face that's staring at you really menacingly. This one won artwork awards, and I'm not surprised. Xavier Collette, I think, is the artist, if I'm hopefully not mispronouncing his name. He deserves every credit for the art in this game and that is Abyss. Abyss done by Bruno Cafala who's one of my favorite designers. He just hits it out of the park on a regular basis. This game is superb. It's a fairly simple game 
overall you know you're collecting these different schools of fish in different colors in order to purchase the you know the influence of these lords it's setting a kind of underwater dystopian universe and you get these different color lords you know red blue green yellow that do different things like farmers give you lots of points green give you a lot of wealth red and a militaristic lot so they beat down another players and it all just works really smoothly. You start off collecting the ally fish schools and then you recruit the Lords of the Abyss and then they grant access to different locations underwater that will get you bonus points at the end. But you, it's how you manage those allies with the set collection. It's how you, what combinations of abilities you get on all these different Lords in order to, you know, some will cost more, but they'll give you a really cool ability. And in order to buy the Lords, you need like several different combinations of the ally fish schools and even getting the fish themselves. It's a back and forth almost like a bidding system where you flip over a card and your opponents get a chance to buy it off you first before you do but they pay you the money for it which is in pearls and then you can use those pearls later so it's like i really want that card but i'm going to give them loads of pearls for it do i really need it that badly that i want to give them a monetary advantage we'll see and you've got decisions like that all through it What's really elevated this, though, the four places, is the expansion, the Kraken expansion. Now, granted, it has a loot deck system in the expansion, which I never play with. It's too swingy, it's too luck-based, but that's not why I like the expansion. The expansion brought this up because of the black pearls that you've got in it. I forget what they're exactly called, but think of the corruption mechanic from Lords of Waterdeep. It functions like that. You can use the black pearls to purchase these different ally fish which are a bit more powerful but don't gel well with the other schools of fish but you can also use the black pearls as general currency and they're slightly easier to get hold of but if you have the most of them at the end of a game you end up with the kraken miniature and that gives you a big load of negative points so it's a bit of push your luck it's a bit of like you know resource management with the pearls but it functions like the lords of water deep skull Skullport expansion with the corruption mechanic and it it elevated that game to great levels it's done the same for abyss abyss without that expansion would probably still be in my top 20 maybe maybe top 30 i still really enjoy it without it but with it it's climbed up places and still remains my 13th favorite game ever abyss Number 12 was on the top 10 last year. It was number 9 and now it's fallen to 12. It's still consistent, so don't get up my case about it. But this one has one of the best components I have seen in a board game ever. And it's just dice. It's simply just dice. But it's the size and the quality of those dice. My god, you have got all these chunky dice which are like boulders. They are giants, these dice. So huge. And you get to roll multiple at once. They've got laser etched custom dice things on them, you know, the symbols and that. They look so gorgeous and colourful and vibrant. Seasons is the game I'm talking about. And my god, I just get a kick out of throwing those dice. They are so satisfying, the tactile feel of rolling those boulders across the table, depending on what season it is. But Seasons is kind of like a cross between Magic the Gathering and, I guess, just dice rolling. I can't really say. But the idea is, is that you are collecting cards playing them like magic you know you pay the mana cost and you play the card in front of you and it may get you points it may get you special abilities that kind of thing so it feels a bit like the magic trading card game in that respect even though you don't really directly attack each other though some cards do hinder other players so there is a little bit of that 
But you use these cards to try and get you extra mana. But what really makes this game for me is the timer mechanic and the way the seasons work. You're playing this magic tournament over three years, and there's the four seasons, spring, summer, winter, autumn. And what happens is that the timer, as it moves around, dictates what dice you roll, because if it gets to the summer, you roll the yellow dice, and the yellow dice are better for getting fire and air. And you might get to winter, and you'll roll the blue dice, which is better for getting water and possibly air. You know, you roll the green dice, and air is non-existent anymore, but you can get lots of earth manner and a little bit of water. And it it varies like that across them all. You can get more cards, you can do transmuting, which is where you turn your mana into points, you know, so you don't have to spend them on cards. The expansions add in more variety with the cards, but they're not essential. You could just get the base game and be totally satisfied with this, whether you play with two, three, or four players. It works really well, although I think it works best as a two-player game, because you can knock this out in an hour, if that, with two players, and it's still satisfying. There's still a lot of back and forth. Works really well, but those dice are so nice. And I didn't even mention the best bit about the timer. You draft these dice. So in the turn, you roll them, and then you draft the dice, you resolve them. But whatever dice is left, the number of pips on the bottom of it, one, two, or three, is how far the timer moves around the track. So when you're taking your dice, especially if you're the last person to draft one, you've got to think, hmm, I need that mana, or I could do with that card or the transmute ability this round. But if I take that die, the timer is going to shift into winter, which means I won't be able to get that mana very easily. I need the game to drag on a bit more. I don't want it to get it to the next year yet. I'm happy where I am. So I'm going to take this die, and therefore the timer moves slowly, and we remain in the autumn. You know, it's so good the way this mechanic works. The game is beautiful to look at, fantastic artwork. The dice are the best dice I have ever rolled in any board game ever. They are so satisfying. Really adore this game. Seasons 12. Number 11, the final one for this before we get to the top 10, is a new debut. A new debut has hit number 11, and it was only bought recently, probably in the last three months, but it's had a lot of play since. People may get on my case and think, how can this be like your 11th favourite game ever? And it is. It just is. I used to play chess when I was in my teenage years and even in school. I was a part of the school chess club. I did really well. I had like a quintessential rival that I was up against, but I was still the best chess player there. Then I played as a teenager with a bunch of older people for pub tournaments. There I realised hmm, I wasn't actually the best chess player ever. It turned out there was a lot I could learn, but I really enjoyed it. So I like two-player abstract strategy games. They are something I really enjoy. They get you thinking, they're simple to teach, but they get your brain cells going. It's that good mix of quick, easy to teach, but requires a lot of brain power. This new one, though... Well, I say new, it came out probably a year or two ago, but very small production. I mean, it was not even heard of. Here, though, Arcane Wonders has brought this out with the Dice Tower Essentials line. And I know, yes, I'm part of the network. It's not just because it's part of the Dice Tower Essentials line. I really, really enjoy this game and use it as the quintessential gateway game for teaching two-player abstract strategy games. It is my poster child for doing so, but I really enjoy playing this myself. Enough introduction. Onitama. Onitama is the new chess-like two-player strategy game where you have a master and four students. It's kind of set in a kind of like a martial arts dojo. And the idea is it functions a bit like chess. You've got your grid and you've got your pieces. And your object of the game is to take your opponent's master or get your master in his seat, which is his starting space. 
But the cool thing with this is the way you move. There is a selection of five cards, and there's loads of them in the game, so you get a different set every time you play it, so good variety there. But the way is, is that each player has two of them in front of them, and one that's going to go to the opponent. And the idea is, is that you choose one of these two cards that dictate how your pieces move, and they're very simple, it says where they start and where they go. And whichever one you pick, you have to put in the centre facing your opponent, knowing that in a turn's time he's going to get that card. And then you will get the card that he's already passed to you. Your opponent will pick from one of his two cards, choose it, move, and then place it in the centre facing you and take the one that you gave him a turn ago. So it keeps going back and forth, but it brings in that cool concept of if you lost it's possibly because you gave him the card to beat you with. So there's a lot of thinking about what do I want to do, where are my pieces safe, but what card do I want to give my opponent in the case that, oh, but if I give him the crane card, then he's going to move that on his turn. Ah, oh, I can't give him that. He'll win the game then. And the cards are all really cool. They're based on martial arts style. So you've got tiger and you've got crane and you've got rabbit, apparently. there's a, I was quite sure there's actually a martial arts style for rabbit seriously but you know it's all bits like that tiger stance and uh, the mantis stance and monkey stance and all that lot they're all based on that they've got the chinese symbol for them so they look really cool they're tarot sized cards so they look good and they're nice and big and they've even got a little bit of flavor text as to like the meaning the spiritual meaning behind the style it's really cool it really looks nice it just even though it's a two-player abstract strategy game the theme that it has with it just fits. It's a nice, charming theme to go with it. You've got a little bit of flavor text, you might learn something about the various styles, but at the end of the day, it is a two-player abstract strategy game, but so simple. You can teach this in less than five minutes tops, probably less even, like two minutes tops will take you to teach someone this game, and they can play it in between five to ten minutes, and that's it. So quick. You could do game after game after game after game, and it will just basically do the business now yes uh, the box is not the most convenient thing ever it's like a long rectangle and the mat is rolled up in it but the pieces are cool you know big chunky plastic you know plastic rubber mold pawns and masters the tarot cards are really nice they're good quality this was a solid hit from the dice tower essentials line in fact i would go as far as to say this is the best game out of the dice tower essentials line in fact Yep, that is, it is. I've already said about Sheriff of Nottingham. I wasn't the biggest fan of Royals. You know, Onitama is my favourite of the Dice Tower Essentials. A brilliant two-player abstract strategy game and my number 11. Oh boy, my throat is on fire. I really should have taken a bigger pint of water when I actually decided to do this list. But we're there, gentlemen. That was 20 through 11. We are now on my top 10 games of all time. How many are new debuts? How many have gone up? How many have gone down? How many have stuck there? Will Sentinels in the Multiverse be my number one again this year like it was last year? You'll find out in the next episode coming very soon. I intend to have both of these released during the last week of August. So the week commencing the 22nd, you will have both not only this episode, obviously you're listening to it, but you will have the final top 10 as well. So all shall be revealed soon. We're getting there. The top 100 is coming to its conclusion. So thank you for sticking with me for 2211. I'll see you in part 7, 10 through 1. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. 
If you like this show, you might like the Game Pit or the Happy Mitten podcast. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.